0: All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast about how to make sense of scripture. This is part two this week. And so we've we've released a bonus episode.
1: Get to hear us twice.
0: Yeah, that's right. This is really just a way for us to talk more <laughs> and longer but to trick people into thinking that we're not. Oh,
1: you guys have to listen to this one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But you know, we we already did an intro this week, so yeah. like I don't, you know, Jackie, no offense, but we don't need to hear about your cat. We don't need to hear about your child I don't want to talk about them, so that's fine. Okay, we're just going to get into <laughs> the Bible, okay? Which Let's is what it. this podcast is supposed to be about. So we ended uh verse 14. Is that is that correct? Yep. Genesis 2. And we talked about how the, the rivers flow out of Eden from the presence of God and give yeah. life to the world. And human beings follow rivers. And because we are the images of God, the glory of God is in us. And so we go out along those rivers. And through us, we actually become the living water. And we give that to, yeah. to the world around us. So there's limitless meaning. There's limitless purpose to your life.
1: Yeah, our divine task has been set before us.
0: To be a human mm-hmm. is to have an incomprehensible amount of responsibility and meaning and purpose in your mm-hmm. life because the world is going to be glorified by you. Yeah. God has created a beautiful world, but he has tasked his images with bringing it to further glory.
2: Yeah.
0: And what, what we'll see throughout the Bible is he insists on working like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think we talked about this when we talked about inspiration of scripture.
2: Yeah.
0: But we typically think that if God is at work, then man is not at work. Yeah. And if man is at work, then God is not at work. And that's exactly the opposite of the way that everything happens in the Bible. Right. And that's because of these two stories. Right. The world's set up so that when God works, he works through us. Mm-hmm. That's why he breathes his life into our nostrils, and we become his living idols, his living representations. Yeah. And we're supposed to represent him in this world. And so the rivers are flowing out of the garden, and there were these references to these two trees Yeah. in the garden. And so there's, there's the tree of life. Yep. Yeah. In the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's all that it said so far. Yeah, it right? says
1: that, and then we just keep going. And you're kinda like, huh. Okay, so let's are go. Those are about?
0: Let's go fifteen through seventeen. Okay.
1: Genesis two, verse fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die.
0: All right, so there's two trees: tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's start with the tree of life. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more intuitive for us, especially if you're if you're a Christian. But the tree of life represents all of God's creative power. Mm-hmm. And so God is not just a bigger, better being than you and I. Yeah. He is being. Yeah. And so our being, our existence, our life is in him. Mm-hmm. And so that we sometimes we we make that mistake where we're like, What's God like? Well, he's like me. <laughs> except like, he's bigger better. and better. <laughs> yeah. And it's true in the sense that we're images. Yeah. So there's something about us that reflects him mm-hmm. in a very deep way. But at the same time, you know, we are contingent beings that exist at his pleasure and in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh he is non contingent and just is. Yeah. And so the tree of life makes sense for us to live. Uh, we're granted that. Mm-hmm. And as long as we have access to it, we live.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: we live in him and we, we don't die. Uh, th- this is like an interesting philosophical thing to stop and reflect on because a lot of times when we ask questions about why God does the things that he does and why He the world is the way that it is, we don't stop and ask those questions from this perspective. Hmm. Why would God do X, Y, and Z? And the real question is, why is there something instead of nothing?
1: Yeah, why would he give me life?
0: Why is there anything at all? Uh, And so I don't want to discourage people from asking those questions. I just want us, when we ask those questions, to remember that the first question or the first thing that we should notice is that we exist at his pleasure because of him. All of our existence is a gift from him. And so, you know, he shows up when Job asks these questions, and this is what he talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He's not just being mean to Job, but Job says, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe the world is like this. I don't want to live in a world like this. And so God shows up and he says, tell me what you know about the world. Yeah. Tell me what you know about existence because you exist at my pleasure. And so you can have these questions, but if you demand a hearing with me, you you're demanding a hearing with being. Yeah. With the ultimate you know, with the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a it's a beautiful, gracious gift that he has given us access to his life.
1: Yeah, existence is grace. And we have to, throughout the story, we'll have to remind ourselves of that because this is, you know, a, a question that comes up all the time.
0: Like, think about, he, we're allowed to eat from that tree. Yeah. We're given access to the tree of life,
2: right?
0: to the creative power of God. And so that creative power shared with us, and it's in us, and it's in that power that that we live. And so, you know, uh, according to the plan, according to the kind of world He set up, this must be so. Mm-hmm. Because if we're going to take this world and we're going to bring life and flourishing to it, and we're going to cover the the globe with that life and flourishing, it's going to happen through us. And so we have to have access to that life. Yeah. And so, uh, just like He breathes His Spirit into us his life is in us mm-hmm. and all good that we create is his life flowing out of us and uh we take that for granted absolutely we forget that yeah you know we 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 start with the presupposition that we should exist
1: yeah yeah
0: a <laughs> no reason for us yeah. to think that right and and christian theology does not think that
1: correct yeah
0: right the uh, church you know the the tradition that comes from the bible says that God, we exist because God wants us to.
1: Yeah, everything is grace,
0: and He gives that to us. You know, uh, if we don't have that life, then we won't be able to fulfill the commission, right. and creation will be in in trouble.
2: Hmm.
0: And so that's a little foreshadowing of the trouble that creation yeah. gets into in the next four or five chapters. But um, what's the other tree?
1: The knowledge of good and evil.
0: The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. So the Bible will go on to call. You know what's represented in this tree: wisdom, yes, wisdom, discernment, and judgment. Mm-hmm. The ability to move in this world with the power and the life of God, and to use that power and that life for His purposes. Yeah, in His name, and 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 in His in His character. Right. I mean, how do we know what's right and wrong?
2: Yeah. How God. do How
0: do you know what's good and evil? I right. mean, that's a those are big questions. Right. And so, right and wrong, good and evil, morality, ethics, all of that—we're supposed to be God's delegated authorities. And so, to do this, we have to have the wisdom necessary to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and and what I what I believe about this story and what I believe about the Bible, moving forward, is that we will, as humans, acquire that wisdom,
1: mm-hmm. but it
0: has to be on God's terms. Yeah, it's His right and wrong. It's His world. Yeah. So, so uh, when you look at it from this perspective, to say uh, I don't like God's moral code. Yeah. It it's in the truest sense of the world absurd.
1: Well, again, it's it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the first tree, uh, of exactly. that our existence is grace and we're here at the will of God. Right. So then, for us to come in and say, I don't like how you did this or you set this up. Yeah. It's kind of absurd.
0: Right, right. I mean, we are not—we don't exist in and of ourselves. Right, yeah. We exist in Him. We're His mm-hmm. images. You know, we're in His likeness. And so if we're going to live a life of flourishing and goodness and beauty, it has to be at His behest. Yes. And and, and in, in His name and, and in His character. Uh, we have to submit to Him, and, and it's His wisdom that we have to learn. Mm-hmm. It's His definition of good and evil that we have to come to, and that comes from a life of following and learning and— listening and patience and obedience. And so in a sense, we will get to eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge yeah. of good and evil. We will get the wisdom of God, but it comes on his terms and it comes from a developmental life of learning good and evil, yeah. right and wrong. Um, that's important to know because a lot of times the way that this story is depicted is that God put that tree there to test us Yeah. to say, well, there is one tree you can't eat from. Let's see if you listen to me. Yeah. That's not true, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The tree is there, and he tells us not to eat from it. Why? Specifically, just quote it. Why does he say we shouldn't eat from it?
1: For when you eat from it, you will certainly die.
0: We'll die if we eat from it. Yeah. So it doesn't say... That you can't eat from this tree, and if you do, you're gonna break a rule and I'm gonna get you're mad in at trouble. you and I'm gonna yeah. kill you. <laughs> it doesn't say yeah. if you eat from this tree, I will kill you. Right. It says the natural consequence of you eating from this tree apart from me. Right. Is that you'll die. Well, think about everything we just talked about. Does God want us to die?
1: Clearly not.
0: He created us.
1: Right. He didn't have to do that. Yeah.
0: Right? That was at his pleasure. He right. wants us to exist and live and flourish. And so he doesn't want us to eat from this tree because if we eat from it, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. He does not want us to die. And so we'll get into this more in, in, in Genesis three, but this is what Paul says in Romans six twenty three. He says the wages of sin is death. Right. Right. Wage is something that you earn for working. <laughs> it's not a gift, right? The wage is something that you earn. Uh, you, yeah. y- you work and so you get wages. We turn our backs on God, and so we get death. If, right. if you disobey, if you take good and evil, right and wrong, into your own hands, you're going to die. Yeah. And so God tells us not to. That's a loving thing to do. Yeah. Hey, uh, child, don't run out into the yeah, street.
2: Exactly. Oh,
0: are you trying to, like, oppress your child by not letting <laughs> him run out into the street? No, if right. you run out into the street, you get hit by a car and you'll die. Right. As, as your father or mother, I don't want you to do that because I love you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You have beautiful life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't do that because I don't want you to die. And so uh, when we think of this story, we have to think of it like this. God commands us not to eat from the tree because God doesn't want us to die.
1: Yeah. And just like children, when we read this story, it it, it is like, well, why not? Why can't I? Yeah, why can't I? I want to.
0: And, and you can ask that question. Yeah. But you can only honestly a- ask that question. If you're coming from the place of understanding that uh, he cares for you. Yeah. He says, don't eat from that tree because you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. I made you. We're going to read Genesis 3 and we're going to go through this list of curses that comes upon the humans Mm -hmm. because they do eat from that tree. He doesn't want that for us. Yeah. Right? He doesn't trick us. He doesn't put that tree there, tell us to eat from it, and then say, gotcha when we do. (laughs) Yeah, and he doesn't put it there just so that we can't have it. He puts it there, and I think we will have access to it through a life of following him. Yeah, wisdom, discernment, judgment. Uh, but but to eat from it on our own terms because we want to because it looks good, which is what we'll see in Genesis three. Yeah, uh, that will kill us.
1: Well, it's like what we talked about last episode, like wanting to gain wisdom apart from the way that God gives us wisdom. It's like an impossible task Yes. to say, I want what you're offering and I want to learn wisdom, but I don't want to learn it the way you're giving it to me or mm-hmm. on your timeline. Mm-hmm. I'd like it now yeah. and I'd like it apart from you.
0: Slow yeah. patience. <laughs> so we're going to read a story of Abraham and God promises Abraham something and Abraham has to wait Yeah. and wait Yeah. and wait and wait much longer than you and I would wait.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Uh, Abraham, according to Paul, is a saint. He's an Old Testament saint, and part of the reason he's a saint is because he waits patiently. Yeah, and he believes that the goodness of God will come to him, uh, but but he is not to take it for himself.
1: Well, and this is how we obtain wisdom still today,
0: right? You know, um, have you ever have you ever heard of like there's kind of like a it's actually sort of like a rich, yuppie phenomenon of like mm. uh, taking like psychedelics. Yeah. So like, a little bit. when I was growing up, that was like a hippie thing to do back yeah. in the '70s. But it's come back. With like, you know, if you go to Burning Man, you're gonna take ayahuasca or whatever. Yeah, right. And you're gonna have visions, and people say it opens your mind. And you know, I heard a, a speaker one time say, you know, beware of unearned wisdom. Yeah. You know, that might not be yours to have. Yeah. And uh, so, so we still struggle with this stuff Absolutely. today in so many different ways. I mean, yeah. that's like an obvious example of that because we think that by taking these psychedelic drugs we're going to become something more yeah right? but according to the bible the way that you become what you're supposed to be is a life of following god a
1: long obedience
0: long obedience in the same direction Yeah. and in that patience the transformation of god i mean the church calls it theosis we become mm-hmm. like him. Mm-hmm. He empties himself into us in that in that patience and in that obedience. And so, this is all that God is asking for them. You know, I don't even think He's restricting them from eating from that tree. Mm. He's just saying that you don't do it on your terms. Yeah, and you will have wisdom, but it will come through a life of of
1: through me. me. Yeah,
0: right. And and you're going to see this uh, when Adam names the animals.
1: Mm.
0: Adam's learning. Yeah he's starting to exercise judgment. Mm-hmm. God is allowing him to be a part of his creative endeavors and he's doing what what he's supposed to do, right? So death is something that comes to us because we turn away from the God of life. Yeah. It's, it's not that God's mad at you and so he's gonna yeah. smite you. Right. We are products of a God who is life and love. Mm -hmm. And if we turn away from that life and that love, then the only logical conclusion, the only logical consequence of that is that we die. Right. Because that's the opposite of life. Yeah. So then 2.18.
1: 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him.
0: So sometimes the way that this is talked to us, it's it's, uh, described to us in... Modern romantic terms, yeah. That it's not good for man to be alone. That means that he's lonely. Yeah. Uh, but man, Adam here has unmediated access to God. <laughs> yeah. And the angels. Yeah. So he's not lonely. Right. We we have to understand that he's not isolated and lonely. And so God needs to give him a wife. Right. That's not what this what this is saying. Um, he's in loving communion with God. And so I think what this is saying is that part of the commission of the man, of the human, Adam, is to be fruitful and multiply and to rule and subdue the earth. And that purpose of humanity is not possible by himself. Yeah. Right? So he can't be fruitful and multiply by himself. He can't rule and subdue the earth by himself. Absolutely. And so uh, atheistic evolutionary sociologists Will tell you that humans are hyper-social creatures. Mm-hmm. That all of who we are has to do with being in community with people. Yeah, this is why shame is a big deal. Yeah, because the way that societies create their boundaries is they create honor and shame. Mm-hmm. And to be shamed by your community, to be to be sent out of your community, is a big deal. Yeah, and that's because we're social creatures. And mm-hmm. so it's not good for man to be alone, not because he's lonely, but because for a human to be a human in the way that God wants us to, it's ultimately a social endeavor. Yeah. And then, of course, to, to fulfill the commission of being fruitful and multiply, there, there is a uh, sexual procreative aspect to that mm-hmm. um, that, that, he has to, that he has to address. And so uh, God goes about fulfilling this, but he doesn't just snap his fingers. He invites... Adam to participate in it. Yeah. Which is what happens throughout the rest of the Bible. Yeah. Right? And so 19 through 20.
1: 19 through 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found
0: so god brings all the creatures before adam the human and the image of god participates yeah he identifies them and he names them and a name has a a name is a big deal Hmm. you know if you're ever in a room with people and you say someone's name they turn they look at you it catches their attention you know if i was sitting here and every time i was talking about you I said, uh, and this this woman, uh this woman across from me is gonna <laughs> read the next verse. Like that would be strange, yeah. right? But when I say, okay, Jackie, read the scriptures, there's something about that that's so personal and yes. beautiful. That's who you are. Right,
1: right. Right.
0: You are Jackie, Mitchell. And so uh to name the creatures is to participate deeply yeah. in in creation, which is what which is what humans are supposed to do. And so You know, God invites this participation. um, And uh, all of the animals are named by man because man is the image of God and participates in in giving the created world order and meaning. Uh, But none of these animals can help Adam fulfill the mandate, at least not totally. Right. Now, the livestock, it mentions livestock because they're going to help the humans cultivate
1: yeah absolutely.
0: right. And when you think about the symbiosis of an ecosystem, you know your 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 crops are going to be healthy based upon the animal life that's around it doing what it's supposed to do, right right. Uh, um, I'm not like super good at biology and like <laughs> you know the way that this stuff works, but you just think about you know the idea that if the bees went away, we'd all die.
1: Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. How interconnected every like species is in an ecosystem, more than we realize.
0: Exactly. Um, but ultimately speaking, the commission that he's given to humans cannot be accomplished Correct. by Adam himself and all the animals. Right. Because, you know, not to be crude, but he can't reproduce with the animals right. and make more humans that can then go out along the rivers yeah. and bring life to the world. And
1: those animals have not been given that divine mandate.
0: Right. It's a human mandate.
1: They've not been given the breath of life like Adam has.
0: So these animals are they're good in and of themselves. They have meaning in and of themselves, but they're not images. Right. We are we are his images. And so uh it says that he needs a helper, right? No suitable suitable helper was found. And that word in Hebrew is Azer. Mm. Transliteration is E Z-E-R, Azer. Mm-hmm. And it's used a lot in the old Testament and it's almost always something that's ascribed to God himself. Mm. So the reason that's important is because sometimes, uh, you know, uh, as a woman, I'm sure that you've heard the idea of being a helper as if there's like the man yeah. is like to do this thing and you can go along behind him and yeah. help. Right? Yeah. You, you go with him and help. Yeah. Um, but the, most of the other times that it, this word is used, it's, it's used to describe God. Right. And so uh, Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Mm-hmm. My help comes from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Same word. Psalm 20, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God, uh, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. He has sent you help from the sanctuary and grants your support from Zion. Yeah. And so... That's, that's that the same root, help, mm-hmm. comes from God. Psalm 60, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to to Edom? Is it not you, God? You who have now rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us help against the enemy, for human help is worthless. And so not only is it ascribed to God, but it's also like a military term. Yeah. Right? There's something to be done. And so the help of God is needed. Uh, there's... There's something that has to happen for humans, and so woman is necessary, Mm -hmm. that male and female together are the image of God, Mm -hmm. and only in that is is the divine mandate to be carried out. So it's not degrading. Yeah. Right? It is not uh, a subordinate position. If you think that, then you would have to say that God is subordinate in all these psalms.
1: Right, which we know not to be true.
0: Which is ridiculous. Right. Right, and and so um, God is not being degraded in the Psalms as being a helper. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he, he, is, he is help, and so Adam needs something. Right. And so what is God going to do? Right. And so let's do uh, 21 through 25.
1: 21 through 25. So the Lord God called the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame.
0: That's the end of the chapter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Um, We talked about this a little bit in our Jonah teaser that came Mm -hmm. out a a few weeks ago. Um, Jonah is in the bottom of the boat, and he's in a deep sleep, Mm -hmm. right? Um, When God makes his covenant with Abraham, he puts him in a deep sleep. Yes. And I think it says something like a a dark and terrifying (laughs) thing comes over him, right? Um, And so this is the same word. It's a specific kind of sleep. And... I think a good way to translate that is it's a death sleep mm-hmm. he puts him into a death sleep in a way he puts him to death mm-hmm. and so Adam is put to death in a garden and then woman is ripped out of his side yeah so it's translated here as rib but that's because that's not what the actual word means it's just that ribs are on your side
1: like your side yeah, is and what they so mean, yeah.
0: That's, that's, that's I think that's why that translation mm-hmm. came about. Um but God rips out of the the side of man, um, woman. And so uh, once man and woman come together, life can happen. Yeah. So being fully human, being fruitful and multiplying, bringing life to the world can occur, but only with the male and female image together and so man dies first at least symbolically he gets put into this deep sleep or this death sleep and in the bible time after time after time life true life comes after death yeah true life is resurrection life Mm -hmm. even here right and so this is this is interesting now um, to say that he that woman's ripped out of his side like it's more accurate than rib is that adam was split in half Mm -hmm. adam humanity was split in half mm-hmm. when he when he goes into that to that death sleep and now the image is male and female that's what genesis 1 26 through 28 says in the mm-hmm. image of God he created mm-hmm. them male and female he created them so male and female is is the image of God and then it says because of that or this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife yeah but, well, why what does that mean Right, He wakes up and he sings a song to his wife. Mm -hmm. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I will call you woman for for you were taken from man. And so in the garden, man gets split in half. Mm -hmm. He gets split apart. And so in marriage, what was split apart in the garden Mm -hmm. comes back together. Mm -hmm. So man leaves his, his father and mother. And becomes united to his wife. Mm-hmm. That which was split apart in the garden comes back together in marriage. So marriage is a pre-fall ordinance. Yes. Um, and that's because humanity split in half, male and female. Yeah. And so they come back together in marriage. It's this beautiful picture of what was split together come together. Uh, split apart comes comes back together again, yeah. and when they come back together, new life happens. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the procreative aspect of of sex. There's a unitive dimension of marriage, and there's a procreative dimension of marriage. Right, uh, both of which are important to the to the original design right. of of the world and of humanity. And this is actually the the root of the Christian sexual ethic. Yeah. So, so male and female, um, you know. Uh, in, in the sacramental covenant of marriage they they come back together again mm-hmm. and so that which was pulled apart come comes back together and the commission for that occurs uh, and the great commi- or the, the commission to, to fill the world with life happens in this union
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so um, Jesus mentions this in Matthew 19 when they ask if they can divorce their wives if they have a certificate yeah. because Moses created created this law. And he says, haven't you read that in the beginning, God made the male and female and said, for this reason, the man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two flesh, but one flesh. And therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Yeah. So that's Christian marriage. And, and I know that that's not the way we talk about marriage in the secular world.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, so we actually in, in March, uh, in February and March, our church did a series on marriage. Yeah. And the biggest problem with modern marriage is it's it's looked at as a partnership. Yeah. So as long as you yeah. help me do the things I want to do, I'll stay with you. Yeah. But when that stops, we'll just get divorced. And you, and you see that. Yeah. This is the typical trajectory of marriage in, mm-hmm. in our world today. Um, it's not biblical marriage. Mm-hmm. In biblical marriage that which is ripped apart in the garden comes back together in marriage. Yeah. And so that's why Christian marriage is defined the way that it is. That's why Christian marriage is controversial mm-hmm. in, in the world today. That's why the Christian sexual ethic is, is controversial. But it's very clear, and it's right in the beginning, yeah. before the fall, that this is how the, the world was designed. This is how male and female were designed. And male and female together, as the image of God, take the Great Commission forward. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, or or Paul talks about Jesus being the new Adam. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Right? And Adam means human. So Jesus is the new human. He's the the new humanity, right? And so Adam is put into a death sleep, and his side is ripped open, and he wakes up. He's in a garden, and he has a bride. Mm Mm-hmm. And that which is supposed to be together comes back together again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church is consistently called the bride of Christ. Yes, so Christ is the bridegroom, and we as the church are the bride. And so Jesus Christ gets put to death, and when he's on the cross, they stab him in the side. Yeah, and then he goes into a death sleep. He dies, and then when he wakes up, Mary Magdalene's in the garden with him. Mm-hmm. The the first of the church, the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. So. It's actually the theological reason that that the women are the first ones to see the resurrected Christ because he's the bridegroom, yeah, and the church is the bride. So Christ uh, gets put in a, to death, and he wakes up in a garden with a sore side and a wife, <laughs> the church, right? Just like Adam just like Adam gets put to death in the garden, wakes up with a sore side and, and a wife, right? And when Adam sees his wife. He is so overjoyed that he sings, yeah, a song of praise. And so this is how Christ feels about us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That 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 which was ripped apart in sin, yes, God and and man comes back together in Christ. That's why the metaphor is what it is. That's why uh, the church is the bride of Christ, and that's why Jesus goes, you know, gets put to death, hurts his side, wakes up with a bride. It's the same. He's the new Adam. Yeah. Right? And, and, and so these are the symbolic pictures that the Bible weaves together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Genesis 2 here, male and female, husband and wife, mm-hmm. is carried forward and ultimately fulfilled in, in Jesus bringing humanity back together with God. That which was ripped apart comes back together. And uh, we are the bride of Christ. Yeah, And we meet him in a garden and new life comes from that. Yeah. Right? So you can take this metaphor like all the, all, all the <laughs> way through. Um, and so this is the foundation of, of uh, biblical anthropology. Yeah, This is what it means to be human in the Bible. Everything we said in Genesis 1 about being an image of God. Everything we said in Genesis 2 about being an image of God. What Genesis 2 says about male and female. And how the commission happens. What Genesis 2 says about what gets ripped apart comes back together. We get ripped apart, come back together in Christ. And uh, all of this is happening in the first two pages of the Bible.
1: You know, and they've still got work to do together. Yes. I I do want to say that I think that another misconstrued notion we have about marriage sometimes is that, like, we complete each other in the sense that, like, you know— I. I'm married to my husband, Josh. And so Josh and I, like, now our lives are just to, like, love each other. Right. But, like, we still have work to do together. So I, I have to love him and he has to love me while we work to fulfill this Great Commission still. So uh, Adam and Eve still have work to do. The The mandate yeah. has not changed. Adam's been given his helper mm-hmm. to help him fulfill that.
0: Yeah, and, and, and um, all of the things that are controversial— in the New Testament about submission. Yeah. uh, You know, all of that, it just tied directly back to here. Yeah. right. Like there's mutual submission. A wife submits to the husband, but the husband is supposed to image Christ. Mm -hmm. And what did Christ do for his bride?
1: Laid down his life.
0: He died. Yeah. So this is where I always, you know, when people have a problem with the the command to to a wife Mm -hmm. to submit to her husband, um, I always point out two things. Number one, before he says that, he says, submit to each other yeah. out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. And then after he says that, he tells the husband, you're supposed to die for your wife. Yeah. So a lot of times what happens is we take that, you know, our, in our sin, we take that idea of submission. And we think it means the kind of submission that like Rome demands yes. yeah. from its citizens, right? So you you will listen to me or I'll hurt you. Yeah, I'm the boss, so you'll listen to me. And we're like, okay, well, that's what submission is, and so that's how a husband and wife are supposed to interact. And it's like, no, because right. Caesar is not going to die for a peasant, yeah, but Jesus does, yeah. And so the 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 most difficult gender role definition in the New Testament is for the husband, mm-hmm. uh, as as the husband in a marriage. You are supposed to give all that you are and all that you have for your wife. That's how you image Christ. Mm -hmm. There's no other way. Mm -hmm. And that command is given specifically to the man, that you are supposed to die for your wife. And so um, most of the time, uh, the the controversy is that, well, if we think about submission in, in the basis that the world thinks about it, that seems like it's not a good thing. Yeah. Correct. Right. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Yeah. That would be bad. That would not look like Jesus. That would not look like God. That would not look like this story. Um, but when you when you take the story as it is and the symbolic nature of, of what this story is telling and the spiritual aspect of us being images of God um, to, to submit mutually, and to lay down your life for something that's the model yeah that's christ as the bridegroom what he does for his bride the church and that's what a husband and wife are to do in in their marriage together and when we live like that the the glory of god yeah. flows out of us into the world like living water
1: yes yeah
0: right um and so the reason i'm enamored with the first two chapters of genesis and I actually get made fun of for this, even more so than, than wear, for wearing sweaters too much. Right. Is because Genesis 1 and 2 paints a picture of humanity that is way more beautiful than we think.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so I am adamant that we start here. You don't start at the story that we're going to read next, which yeah. is sin. That's really important because sin's going to bring death into the world and that ruins everything. But you don't start there. You start with what we're supposed to be.
1: Yeah, if we aren't heartbroken by Genesis 3, I don't think we have read Genesis 1 and 2 fully enough.
0: Right. And and if you're not heartbroken by your own condition. Yeah. Yeah and the way that sin comes, like it keeps us from being this beautiful story that's been set up in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. That's what we're supposed to be. That's our purpose. That's our calling. That's the meaning of being a human. That's what God wants for our life, that kind of flourishing, that kind of beauty, that kind of participation in the divine. And sin ruins that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when you begin with sin, you never get to the place of... Like why, should I, like, why should I do all this again? And we create these weird theologies where it's like, well, you need to give your life to Jesus so you don't go to hell. Right. And it's like, well, you do need to give your life to Jesus so that you're not eternally separated from him and so that the love of God that's going to pervade the world at some point does not come upon you like a burning judgment. Yeah. That's true. But the reason that you ought to give your life to Christ is because there is no life outside of God Yes, and yeah. Christ brings you back into that life. And so the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 is what we are supposed to strive for in our life. Union mm-hmm. with God, being what we were created to be, and bringing that beauty into to the world around us um, in Christ because he's the one who brings it back together again. Right. right? So Genesis 1 and 2, what do you think? Do you like it? I
1: loved it. (laughs) It It's great. Big fan. (laughs) Big fan. Big fan of Genesis 1 and 2. I think it's so beautiful. And I think, you know, no matter how many times we read it, we have to reset. And clearly the rest of Scripture, these themes and these verses are, are referenced a crazy amount of times. This is what we will camp on for, you know, most of the redemption story.
0: Right. Even through Jesus. Yeah. And then you read Revelation. Yeah. And it's and all, like a retelling. All, of. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, you look at the New Jerusalem, and you're like, oh. Oh, I know what this is like. I recognize yeah, a lot of this exactly. stuff. exactly. Right? So we
1: have to know this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we really should. Yeah. Because uh, we, we, you know, we sell ourselves short, and we sell the beauty mm-hmm. of our faith short if, if we don't. And so you get through Genesis 1 and 2, and now you have the created world. It's in front of us. The story begins the symbolic nature of the world and the spiritual reality of the world that we inhabit is is Mm -hmm. all right here. And it's been set now at the end of of Genesis 2. And so, you know, it's it's this really beautiful thing, you know, just to kind of summarize and wrap up the first two chapters of the Bible. God creates a world of incredible diversity. Mm -hmm. He creates geographic diversity, mountains, rivers, plains, forests, seas, deserts, animal diversity, animals that walk and run and swim and fly and swing on trees and animals that are large and small and fierce and meek, and there's plant life diversity, there's trees and bushes and, uh, you know, meteorological diversity, clouds and sun, rain and shine, wind and stillness. And why does God create a world like that? Because he's incredibly complex. Mm-hmm. And so giving us a one plain vision of reality is never going to give us the revelation that he wants us to have so that we might know him. But by creating a world with all of this diversity and all of this beauty in it, we start to understand who he is. Yeah, You can start to layer these pieces on top of each other and you create a mosaic of what God is like. Now, we'll never fully understand, right? We'll never fully be able to comprehend an infinite eternal God, but what he has given us in all of its difference and diversity and change and development, uh, he's put in front of us as a gift Yeah, because he wants us to know him. Mm-hmm. And so we look at what he's created, and by looking at what he's created, including ourselves and each other, we see his stamp. And so we can know what he's like to, to some degree because of the gift that, that he's given us. Um, the universe and everything in it symbolizes God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we should live our lives sacramentally in the sense that when you walk outside, you really can look at the trees and the grass and the sky. Yeah. And if you have the, the, the fortune of being close to a mountain or a beautiful sea mm-hmm. or rivers, you can look at this stuff. And you can see the face of God in it you see what he's like and you can worship because of that yeah right like you're not supposed to go up to an elephant and worship an elephant but you look at an elephant and it's like that thing exists look at it yeah look at look at how big it is look at how complex it is like th- that and so you look you're supposed to look at an elephant and worship God mm-hmm You're supposed to look at a mountain and not be like, oh man, I'm awesome because I climbed to the top of that mountain. You're supposed to look at the mountain and say, that mountain is awesome because God made it. Yeah. And you worship God because of that. And everything in the natural world is like that. Everything in this universe points to God. And so we as Christians, we do view the world symbolically like that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's not real. doesn't mean what we know about atoms and weather patterns and the water cycle and the, the earth's spinning on its axis and it's rotating. It doesn't mean that stuff's not true. It just means that that's not the most important thing about the world. Yeah. The most important thing about the world is that the world and everything in it points to him. Mm. And we can live a life where we see that and we worship him because of it. And in that worship, we become more fully what we were created to be. Yeah. Which are his images who live in him and who are the beings through whom his life goes out into the world. Right. And uh, we have to reorient the way we see the world to understand mm-hmm. that. When yeah, I wake absolutely. up in the morning and I open my blinds, that's not always the first thing I think. No. Look no. at this beautiful world. No. Let me worship God. <laughs> but that is what it was intended to do.
1: Yeah, we have a really hard time with gratitude. Mm. Um, but if we remember that existence is grace we'll start to have an easier time with it, I think. Yeah. If we can continually remind ourselves. And that's what Genesis 1 and 2 does.
0: And so my advice is to take the idea of submission and start here. Mm -hmm. The, The first thing that we submit to is that God determined how things should be and what they should mean, and he created them. And so we have to interact with everything like that. Yeah. That's submission. We submit to him in that where we don't just take it for granted. We don't just say that it is. We look at all of life, including ourselves, and the world around us as a miracle. Mm -hmm. The central miracle of the Bible is life. And what we're gonna talk about next time is that the central tragedy of the Bible is death. Yeah. And um, death is an intrusion that is not supposed to be because we're supposed to have access to the tree of life. Mm -hmm. He gave it to us. And so anything in this world that 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 brings death is an absurdity in God's world that is supposed to be life. Yeah. Um, and that's the reality that we live in. And that's what Genesis 1 and 2, I think, very clearly points us to. And so we have to start there. Um, what's like, you know, what's your kind of experience in, in the people that you lead and you know, your, your small group, your friends, you know, how can this kind of perspective help reorient their life or, or the way that they view the world or the yeah. way that they see the world or, or yeah. their, their meaning, their purpose, what they strive for, you know, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's like what we talked about. There's a purpose crisis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so, like, overwhelming when you separate or have been separated from purpose, like that is an overwhelming sense of loss. Yeah. And so how refreshing to be able to be given this directive, this purpose. Yeah. But that we have work to do mm-hmm. and that there's wisdom to be found in the work that we do. And so not only do we have purpose just to say that I'm I'm worth something I am, but also that I have a future. Mm. So here's our worth and here's our direction. Mm. And so for for you know, I, I think of the the small group I lead of college students. That is, like, the question to struggle with in college, right? Yeah. As a young adult. Not only who am I and do I have worth outside of, you know, my friends or my significant others or, you know, my family. Do I have worth? But then even if I have worth, then what am I doing? Hmm. What's next? Hmm. And these are both answered. Yeah. And so it gives an incredible amount of, like, freedom like, I, we think of submission as, like, this restrictive thing, but I think this gives us so much more freedom.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's biblical freedom. Yeah. You know, biblical freedom is not the ability to make arbitrary, contrary choice. Yeah. Biblical freedom is the ability to be what you were created to be. And, um, you know, you said worth and direction. What if we all knew our worth and what if we all knew our direction? Yeah. Like, what what— what would your life be like? Think about the anxieties that you have. Mm-hmm. How would that be transformed and transfigured if if you knew that Genesis one and two is true? That right. this really is who you are, and this really is what you're supposed to do and be. It, w- it would change. It would change everything. Yeah. And you know the the world is going to come up with its story about who you are and what your direction should be and what christians believe is that apart from god it's a lie right and because it's a lie it's not real and if you chase something that's not real it's going to end in frustration yeah and disintegration and so one of the reasons we're doing a podcast where we go through the whole bible over what seems like it's going to take 10 years (laughs) is because this is what god has given us to reorient our perspective right and for us to understand the most existential questions of life. Who are you? What do you mean? What is your purpose? What's your worth? What's your direction? Mm-hmm. And uh, we've just gotten through the first two chapters. Yeah. And it's set right there. Yeah. And so um, if you ever wonder, you know, why we're passionate about bringing this to people, if you don't have this, then how are you supposed to fight the lies that the world's going to tell you?
1: Of course. Right. Right.
0: Right. You just you you're, you're going to fall into that, and you're gonna. It's like a, a current. You know, if you don't have a counter formational thing like the the biblical story, then you're just, you're going to live according to what the world says about these existential aspects of your life, and if they're not true, it will destroy you. Yeah. And so, in Christ, as Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have the ability to be the beings of Genesis one and two. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so um, to me, Genesis 2 ends when you take it all together on a very uplifting note, mm-hmm. right? And then it gets really, really bad. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> it's like you end Genesis 2 and you're like, this is awesome. Yay. I hope no one messes anything up. I <laughs> hope stop. nothing go, goes wrong.
0: <laughs> Let's stop here. Let's stop. And so uh, we're going to open the next episode with uh, – it's, uh, we were laughing about this before we got started because it's like the, look they're they're married there's a husband and a wife it's so beautiful it's so good the commission goes forward and then the very <laughs> and, they're, and they're naked and not ashamed and then it's like and then there's a talking snake
1: <laughs> like, like right what, away what's happening <laughs> uh
0: and so so we'll get into that we'll get into what it means for there to be a talking snake right we'll talk about things like uh um did a snake used to have legs yeah because big question something in there about God makes the snake crawl like what does that mean? Yeah. Um uh and and so a, a lot of the a lot of the the stuff, you know, we don't want to be scared to talk about that. And so we'll talk about that next the time. The
1: stuff that you you have the question about in Sunday school. No one ever gets around to.
0: Yeah, yeah, your teachers like, "Oh, we'll talk about it later." Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm excited I am excited to talk about that even though it gets dark yeah. compared to the beauty of what we just read. Um th- the fact that when you read the scriptures, No matter how dark whatever passage you're on, because the fall is dark, Judges is dark, a lot of the prophets are dark. uh, No matter what, we remember that at some point Christ comes and all of what we're talking about is redeemed. Yeah, And that God refuses to leave us behind. And if left to our own devices, we will destroy ourselves. Mm -hmm. We will believe the lies. We will disintegrate. Uh, away from what we're supposed to be, but in Christ, um, we're, we're integrated yeah. again into the life of God. And so uh, even though the Bible has dark parts to it, we should never be dismayed yeah. when we read the Bible because we, we're living in the promise as Christians, Yeah, especially this side of the the cross and the resurrection.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: So I believe we're, we're yeah, so when this episode comes out, we're getting into the Easter season. And yeah. so you're going to have Good Friday and Easter Sunday and... Uh, you know that is what N.T. Wright calls the day the revolution began. Mm-hmm. So everything that's going to go wrong here is then recapitulated in Christ. And so uh, don't don't despair when we start to yeah. get into Genesis three and sin and all of that, because um, what God wants for us is the beautiful thing we just read, mm-hmm. right? All right. Well, I think that's it. You got anything else before we before we wrap up? Nothing else. That's it. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this this two part series on Genesis two. And we are now through the foundation of the Bible. The story has been set, the symbolic worldview has been set, and the spiritual reality of the kind of world that we live in has been set. And so we can now read the Bible going forward from that framework. And next time we'll begin Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, all right? See you guys soon. All right, see you guys soon.